It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. On Tuesday of last week, Ontario reported 3,670 new cases of COVID-19, 15 new deaths, and a record high positivity rate of 10.3%. Parents that day were reeling because the schools had just been closed indefinitely the day before. We're moving school online only after the April That same Tuesday evening, Premier Doug Ford held a Zoom fundraiser for the Ontario PCs, an evening with himself and Labour Minister Monty McNaughton from 6 to 7.30pm. Tickets were $1,650 each. On Thursday of last week, Ontario reported 4,736 new cases of COVID-19, a new single-day record, and 29 new deaths. That evening, the Premier held a Zoom fundraiser for the PCs, a Ramadan celebration with Doug Ford, from 7 to 8 p.m. Regular tickets were $400, with the option to pay an additional $600 to have your name printed on a recognition scroll that would be presented to Ford during the event. And you'd also receive a hand-signed copy as well. Also that Thursday, the government found time to pass the Protecting Ontario Elections Act, which doubles the limit on how much an individual can donate to a political party annually, from 1650 bucks to 3300 The bill is specifically written to ensure that people who've already given the maximum amount to a political party this year, such as those who paid to hear Doug Ford speak last Tuesday, could now theoretically do so again. Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. I've been covering Ontario politics for close to a decade, and this week it finally kind of made me lose my mind. 
We're recording this on Friday, a few minutes after Doug Ford announced the latest stay-at-home order and after days of speculation about a possible curfew and an endless flow of other soul-crushing information about this terrible third wave. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, I will have regained my mental stability. Here's hoping. And I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land. And I have asthma and would like a vaccine, please. And this is Wag the Doug. A monthly podcast about Doug Ford. All political parties raise money, obviously, and not just at election time. I mean, aside from campaign war chests, parties have to spend money to maintain their headquarters, pay staff, many of whom are being paid to keep raising even more cash. It's an organized, big money operation. And we're going to look at exactly how the PCs specifically are doing it. How come? Because they're the ones in government, and they're also the ones responsible for managing this pandemic. And doing a bang-up job of it, too. And also because they're incredibly successful at it. A couple weeks ago, Queen's Park Today, the political newsletter I publish, tallied up Elections Ontario data from the first three months of this year. And we found that Doug Ford's party had already raised at least $1.356 We say at least because Elections Ontario doesn't track small donations, such as anything under 100 bucks. Either way, that puts the PC party on track to surpass the $3.4 million it raised in 2020. The NDP pulled in roughly half that. And not that there's any real correlation, of course, but I was, I was curious, and it turns out that the PC's first quarter haul of $1.356 million works out to about $486.89 for each Ontarian who died of COVID over the same period. Anyway, the Liberals and the Greens were more or less tied in a distant third in fundraising, and the official totals for the quarter will be out soon, but if we're just looking at the 100 and up contributions, the PC's raised more than 10 times what the Liberals did. So how'd they do it? Like many, many things, the COVID pandemic has drastically changed how political parties fundraise. Rather than in-person leaders' dinners, conventions, rallies, it's all happening, like much else, on Zoom. Sometimes attendees may get some wine or snacks sent to their house alongside the ticket price. But mostly, in the PC's case, it's just paying $1,000 for a Zoom meeting or a Zoom meeting and a scroll. The purpose of which is not to enjoy a few hours on the web, it's to get FaceTime with the premier or a cabinet minister, and just more generally to show your allegiance to the progressive conservatives. Oh, okay. So I was hoping it was just for the privilege of spending another hour of the day on Zoom. Most of Ontario's current political fundraising laws were crafted by the Kathleen Wynne Liberals in the wake of the Cash for Access scandal in 2016. At that time, it was revealed Wynne and the Liberal cabinet were holding events that cost up to $10,000 a ticket and were often only attended by less than 10 people. They were also happening in secret. Until the media broke the story, the only people who really knew about these dinners were the party and the guests who were being quietly invited to attend. Among the Liberal reforms was a rule that required all fundraising events to be posted online for at least seven days. That's how we know about those Ford events we were talking about off the top. But it's easy to tell the PCs don't much like this transparency measure because they changed it. Thanks to a bill that passed just last week, events will only have to be posted online for three days before they disappear off the web. And that's remarkable to me because like, until we started talking about the topics for this episode, Doug Ford's elusiveness hadn't really occurred to me. I mean, there have been times when I've tried to figure out if he's jetted off to Florida during holiday periods, but I hadn't realized the extent to which his 
regular whereabouts might be hard to pin down. I kind of wish I'd been tracking him this whole time, or at least monitoring the daily changes to that one page on the Ontario PC site where they're legally obligated to briefly post that fundraising info. It turns out comprehensively reconstructing that after the fact is kind of a pain in the ass. And it's interesting looking at these current fundraisers, which I have been tracking more or less, not completely comprehensively, but I I do look at that website pretty often. Um... And there's been a lot of them, like I'd say close to weekly, sometimes two a week for most of this year, at least. But these high price fundraisers weren't always necessarily Doug Ford's thing. Back in 2019, he was always trumpeting a $25 a plate spaghetti dinners that he was throwing, although he was also holding pricey fundraisers once in a while around the same time. He just didn't talk about those ones in question period. (laughs) I meet these people at these $25 a night spaghetti dinners, and you can tell I haven't missed too many spaghetti dinners, (laughs) Mr. Speaker. He wanted you to think he was just, you know, holding spaghetti dinners in Western Ontario to net himself a fistful of dollars. I want to dig a little bit deeper into Bill 254, the Protecting Ontario Elections Act, which passed last Thursday, because it does a few other things that are notable. First, it extends and increases the per vote subsidy. That is taxpayer money that flows to political parties based on how many votes they get. So it's going up from $1.80 per vote annually to $2.54. That will, of course, also benefit the PCs because they got the most votes in the last election. It's not something the other parties are really complaining about because it also benefits them. But notable because Doug Ford, before the last election, pledged to eliminate per vote subsidies. He called them political welfare, um, you know, and, and said he hated them. And most conservative parties do. But now the government says it needs to keep them going and raise them because of the pandemic, which has apparently made political fundraising more challenging. Evidently, an hour on Zoom that raises, you know, $10,000, maybe still not quite enough. The bill also places limits on third party advertising ahead of the next election. That means groups like teachers unions, which historically spend a lot of money on TV ads attacking conservative politicians, will be regulated on how much they spend for a year before the campaign rather than six months. So since the next general election in Ontario is scheduled for next June, don't be surprised to hear a fleet of anti-Doug Ford ads on the radio and TV over the next few weeks, because this is basically the last time that advertising groups are going to be allowed to spend money unhampered by Elections Ontario rules. A bunch of groups have called this an infringement of charter free speech rights, and the NDP opposition at Queen's Park has repeatedly questioned why enacting new fundraising rules or advertising rules is a priority for the government in the middle of a pandemic. This government should be focused on healthcare, on paid sick days, on support for students, on support for long-term care. Instead, they're padding their own pockets. You can also give pretty good side-eye to any Ford government bill by just replacing the word act in its title with the words for whom, like protecting Ontario elections, for whom. Well, the PCs did just introduce another bill called the Supporting and Recovery and Competitiveness for whom? <laughs> it's funny and particularly sad how transparent these things are. One provision in the bill makes it so that every third party has to file a report with Elections Ontario every single time its aggregate spending on advertising increases by at least $1,000. So that would be basically 
every time that it takes out an ad in pretty much any medium, except online, where a few hundred dollars can go quite a long way. It's not as though there are any supremely organized Facebook-based third parties whose interests, and in some cases whose donors, align with the PCs. I mean, if done intelligently, it's not hard to imagine a law that meaningfully regulates and reigns in third-party influence, and the law that we already had in place for the last election took some steps toward that. But the new law is pretty clearly about serving discrete political objectives more than any broader democratic principles. And of course, as we said earlier, it, it doubles the individual donation cap up to $3,300. So the donation cap was either non-existent or very high under the Kathleen Wynne governments, and they brought it down to about 1200 And the PCs were kind of slowly letting it trickle up over the past few years, which like people were mostly fine with. According to Queen's Park Today's Elections Ontario analysis, more than 1,000 Ford supporters have already donated over a grand in the first three months of the year, and 300 of them have donated 1650 so the cap. By doubling those limits, the PCs can easily wrangle more than a million bucks just off that small group of people because, you know, the kind of people who are inclined to give a governing political party more than a thousand bucks in the first quarter of a year are probably inclined to hand them, you know, another 1600 if they ask. So on The Simpsons, the Springfield Republican Party is a shadowy cabal of like Mr. Burns, Rainier Wolfcastle, the rich Texan some Nosferatu-type creature. Is that what we're looking at here? Well, some of the top donors, I should say, are actually PC MPPs, which is kind of funny because, of course, the party's fundraising arm is shaking them down too. But one thing that stood out to me when I looked at the list of, of the biggest donors, Elections Ontario lets you sort donations uh, by how much they are, so it's pretty easy to see who's donated you know, the highest amount so far this year is that there are a lot of people with the same last name. For instance, there are 15 people with the last name Baldazara who've all donated $1,625. A quick Google search tells me that the Baldazara family of Ontario is the sole owner of Green Park Group, which is a company that builds, guess, homes and condos in the GTA. And that's Baldassara with an A at the end, not to be confused with the folks behind Familia Baldassare that fresh passed a place on, on Geary in Toronto. So as a journalist in Ontario, my kind of first inclination when I hear about a large development company is to Google them, especially a, a development company that appears to be seeking political influence. So according to Real Estate News Exchange, this Green Park group is poised to develop a, a big section of the Mississauga waterfront alongside two companies, Argo Developments and TACC, which stands for the Awesome Construction Company. And both of those companies were recently named in a joint National Observer Toronto Star investigation. And that was the, the big feature uh, from a couple of weeks ago that, you know, looked at the various developers who are also donors to the PCs and are Ontario Proud, uh, who happen to own land uh, along and around the controversial Highway 413 project, uh, which would run through Vaughan and a bunch of other GTA municipalities as, you know, well as, uh, of course, through the Greenbelt and farmland. Yes. And two of those companies, TACC and Argo, are owned by the DeGasperis family, members of which appear to have donated $4,200 to the PCs so far this year. 
Through Argo, they own huge amounts of land near the proposed Highway 413, which will skyrocket in value if the project goes ahead. The firms also employ former Stephen Harper House leader Peter Van Loan as a lobbyist. He also donated the maximum amount this year, and last year, and the year before. And he also chaired Carolyn Mulroney's PC leadership campaign. Van Loan told the Star and the Observer he's just a lawyer for the development companies and isn't actively lobbying Mulroney's office about Highway 413. He says he just registers on the lobbyist registry to be on the safe side. However, last week, the group Democracy Watch asked the Integrity Commissioner to investigate whether or not he's putting Mulroney in a conflict of interest by representing those firms. I mean, I'd like to think this is the first time that Democracy Watch has called for an investigation of a former federal minister of democratic reform. But looking at the list of who's held that position, I'm not necessarily so sure. Of course, donating to the PECs doesn't mean they're going to build a highway that's going to make you rich. But, you know, the government is still considering Lucky 413, despite the opposition of pretty much every 905 municipality that you think would be, like, salivating over it. Here's Bonnie Crombie, Ms. Sagamayor, after council voted against it. We passed a motion that strongly opposes the construction of the proposed 413, also known as the GTA West Corridor Highway. And if the province still plans on moving forward with it, we support the call for a federal environmental assessment. While some members of the PC government have kind of been slowly backing away from Highway 413, especially those who have ridings in the area, the Premier's office response to the National Observer and the Star really makes it seem like they're still pretty interested in the project. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There are also some lighter versions of what might be perceived as quid pro quo between political donors and the Ontario PCs, which, you know, often take the form of appointments to various government posts. My favorite recent one involved a man named Barack Keja. He is a financial planner and a PC donor who the government tried to appoint as the new vice chair of TFO, uh, which is the French language version of TVO. He had to defend his appointment at a legislative committee, and that didn't go well. When Francophone NDP MPPs asked him why he was qualified to run the province's French language educational network, he listed a French-Canadian girlfriend of his youth as one of the qualifications for the job. He even referred to her in French as his petit ami. So sweet. He ended up withdrawing a little while after that. There's also the case of Carmine Negro, a developer, vice chair of the PC Ontario Fund, and a big Doug Ford donor who was swiftly appointed chair of the LCBO after the PCs were elected. Just last month, he was also appointed to the province's new Invest Ontario board. Last year, the PCs used a ministerial zoning order to clear land he owns near Lindsay, Ontario, 
to be developed into housing without going through any sort of regular approval process. John Carmichael, a former conservative MP, car dealership owner and high-level PC donor, was named board chair of the Ontario Science Centre in February. And on and on it goes, like we could honestly keep doing this for hours. Just to bring it back to the pandemic for a moment, like I think it's important to note that, you know, the PC's decisions on which businesses have been deemed essential and, and continue to are being influenced by donors, lobbyists, and insiders. And, you know, the resulting decisions are why three hospitals are setting up tents in their parking lots this week, but Doug Ford didn't shut down manufacturing or most construction last week. Former Toronto City Council candidate Dan Fox had a pretty good tweet on Friday afternoon. Ontario is not a province. It's three construction companies in a trench coat. And this is a big part of why, despite what might be characterized as an unprecedented province-wide level of despair and horror at the mismanagement of it all, like, you know, it's still hard to imagine what would have to unfold between now and next spring for Doug Ford not to be returned to Queen's Park as premier. And now it's time for Foreseeable Disaster of the Month. What do you have, Allison? I mean, aside from those science table charts uh, showing doom until the end of the summer, it seems like, my foreseeable disaster is the PC's decision to immediately move 1,500 hospital patients into long-term care beds, seemingly without requiring their consent. These people who are mostly alternate level of care patients, although not necessarily, uh, you know, so it's usually older people who require too much care to be at home but aren't in long-term care, are now getting sent into the disastrously understaffed long-term care homes in Ontario where they're going to almost certainly be getting far worse care than they will in the hospital. This was announced last week, but it wasn't announced by the health minister, Christine Elliott, or the long-term care minister, Marilee Fullerton. They left it up to the Ontario Long-Term Care Association to let the public know about it. That is the group that represents for-profit homes, uh, long-term care homes, and, and will those homes will financially benefit from this decision. Although even when the CEO of that association, Donna Duncan, was talking about it, she uh, you know, was saying that, that long-term care homes have fewer staff right now than they had at any other point in the pandemic and are, are really struggling. So it's very unclear how sending hospitalized people who require clinical care into these homes where, you know, there's so few long-term care staff that the province had to change the rules for what qualifies as a long-term care staff member a few months ago. And now you can become a resident care aide, which was not a job that existed before, by basically completing an online portal, um, which assumably teaches you to be nice to, you know, people in care and, and, and change linens and stuff. But it's just uh, seems so unjust and out of control that we're sending hospitalized people into these places that were, you know, already death traps and... I, I I feel like we're in a failed state. It's really upsetting. Like if that was your loved one and you didn't have a choice in it, how like it's unbelievable. I guess the foreseeable disaster part is that these people are, are going to be getting shitty care because the hospitals are too full and the long term care homes are too empty. So good job, Ontario. What is your foreseeable disaster of the month, Jonathan? It's sort of weird to pick up a foreseeable disaster of the month since um, we're 
very much currently living through and experiencing a, a thoroughly foreseen disaster, and certainly foreseeing more. And somehow the act of foreseeing the disaster is also at this point feels like a disaster itself. But I think it's a pretty safe bet that over the coming month and perhaps years, uh, Brian Lilly will continue to regularly cover the Doug Ford government for the Toronto Sun, and that neither he nor the Sun nor Post Media will ever really acknowledge or disclose the fact that he has been in a long-term relationship with Doug Ford's director of media relations. And he'll continue writing about the pandemic and how Doug Ford is listening too much to doctors and pointing out how those doctors, you know, perhaps have ulterior motives and uh, pretend as though everything is fine. And that was Wag the Doug, a show about $1,000 Zoom meetings. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. And I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. Our producer is Damalola Oname. Our executive producer is Kevin Sexton. Our theme music is by Nathan Burley. And our managing editor was Andrea Schmidt. Uh, we're recording this on her final day at Canada Land. And we'd like to thank her for helping give the show a new shape and form and confidence is a monthly podcast. Thanks, Andrea. And thanks to our listeners. Our podcast is listener supported. If you like what we do, support us. Go to wagthedug.com or click on the link in the show notes. Hey, Wag listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.